Let me read one verse from 1 Timothy, chapter 1, verse 15. And the following section will be used as a reference. But let me read one verse, 1 Timothy 1, 15. It is a trustworthy statement, deserving full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I am foremost of all. Amen. I have my sight on the Westminster Confession of Faith, but we began in Christ's own words in Matthew 10, 32 last week. He said, Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him, before my Father who is in heaven. And I said, Confessing Christ lies at the heart of Christian life and discipleship. What is church? Church is Christ-confessing covenant community. That's church. What is a Christian? Who is a Christian? It is someone who confesses with his or her mouth Jesus as Lord and believes in his own heart that God raised him from the dead. Romans 10.9 You will be saved. So church is that and Christian is that. And what are we supposed to do in a hostile world? As Christ commands us, we confess Christ before men, no matter the situation. So the confession of faith, Westminster Confession of Faith, is but an extension of that core activity of confessing Christ. That's what, that's what it is. Today we read in 1 Timothy. What is Timothy? First and Second Timothy. Those are the letters written by Paul to his disciple, whose name was Timothy. We know him very well. So he is writing as an elder man. He is a, he's an older pastor, and he is going to instruct a younger pastor to take care of Christ's church. So Paul is anticipating the change not only of a leadership from one pastor to another, but what he is seeing is that change of an era from apostolic age to a second generation, to the second generation pastors and elders, not the apostles. They will die. Paul will die. And the church of Christ will be led by, not the apostles, no more apostles, but the pastors and elders. So 1 Timothy is very important in that it is not simply an instruction. But when the, all the apostles, the eyewitnesses of Christ, when they die, what would happen? And he wants... Timothy and Titus to know what to do, how to behave, how to lead Christ's church. And in that first chapter, Paul says this 
It is a trustworthy statement. It is a trustworthy statement. That phrase, it is a trustworthy statement, that phrase happens only in his pastoral epistles. It happens four times. 1 Timothy 3, 1, 4, 9, 2 Timothy 2, 11, Titus 3, 8. He says, it is a trustworthy statement. And he says something. So, what, what is he saying? He's saying, only that is trustworthy and nothing else? He's not saying that. It is similar to what Christ says when he says, truly, truly, I say to you. In Greek, it says, Amen, Amen, I say to you. Verily, verily, I say to you. Christ is not saying only these things matter. He is simply emphasizing that what I am saying, you need to pay attention. So we understand entire 1 Timothy is important. It is God-inspired word. It is God's word. But Paul says few times, It is a trustworthy statement, and he says something. What do you think he says? Let me read 1 Timothy in the beginning part. As always, in his epistles, what does he do? He says, hi. He sends greetings. He says who he is. I am Paul. He introduces himself to Timothy. And verse 2 is, to Timothy, my son. And as soon as that greeting is done in the first in Timothy, verse 3 says this, As I exhorted you when going to Macedonia, for you to remain on Ephesus, so that you may command certain ones not to teach a different doctrine. nor to pay attention to myth and endless genealogies. Did you hear that? He does not say, how are you, my son? I missed you. I haven't seen you for a while. Let's get together. He doesn't say. He says, I am Paul. You are Timothy. And he says, I told you to remain in Ephesus to command people, some people, not to teach different Doctrine. I would say this. Apostle Paul probably had a lot on his mind when he saw Timothy. How can he, Timothy, he's a timid person. How can my spiritual son, when I am dead, when I am gone, how can he lead the church? Probably he had 10,000 things on his mind. But the foremost worry that he had was about what? Doctrine. You may not feel it because that's not something that we struggle with in our day-to-day existence. We don't often worry about false doctrines. But when the church of Jesus Christ and his life and longevity of his life, her life is at stake, what matters the first, of first importance is the purity 
of the gospel and its doctrine. One time I had a privilege of uh, hosting a conference. Few hundred pastors were coming from Korea to the East Coast, and I was able to arrange a couple of speakers. I probably shared this with you. And one of the speakers that I was able to invite was from the 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia. Well, the current one still is, is Liam Gallagher. So I gave him a topic. I wanted him to speak on a certain topic. And my topic was, that 10th Presbyterian Church is about 200-year-old church from Philadelphia, from the inception of that Presbyterian Church in America. And I told him if he could speak on a theme, how can a church remain faithful for 200 years and 300 years? What, what do you have to do for a church to survive? for a church to have that long life and impact, the gospel impact, for a few hundred years. He said one thing. He said many things, but he said, it all depends on the pastor, whether he is an unorthodox pastor or not. So the life of a church really depends on the pastor's theology, that was his thesis. Likewise today, Paul had many things in mind, but he's saying, you watch out for your doctrine. And in verse 15, he says, it is a trustworthy statement, emphasis here, deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I am foremost, of all. So what is he saying? Paul is saying by 115, receive, believe, trust, and stand firm in these sayings. God's gospel never changes just because God never changes. So when he says, these are trustworthy sayings. What he is doing is he's summarizing the essence of Christianity. This is a summary statement, if I could put it this way. This simple sentence is a creed, in a creedal form. This is Paul's confession. In this way, and as you will see later, Creed-like or confession-like statements are already present in the Bible itself. That's the theme today. Westminster Confession is but an extension of it. If you read carefully, Bible already has many confessions. We receive them as God's words, and, and they are the the creeds or confession-like statements that we see already in the Bible itself. Verse 15, what is the content? When you hear Paul saying it is a trustworthy statement, 
You expect him to say something profound, something new, something that you have never heard before. And you would say, wow, Paul, that, that's something. But what do you hear from here? When I read this, I mean, it is an unremarkable statement. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. And I am expecting you are expecting something amazing to come out of his mouth. But what does he say? That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And we think, well, Paul, that was an underwhelming statement. I mean, we know. I mean, that, that's the basic of Christianity, the gospel statement. And you emphasize that after saying this is important to Timothy, who is a pastor, who should know this. We, all, we, we know this. If you ask any of our children, they will know the content of the gospel is that. But when he th- is thinking about the next generation church, and there are all sorts of heresies and heterodoxies in the world, he is emphasizing to his disciple, Timothy, this you should remember. And he is not giving him 10 million words, but a simple sentence. The core of the gospel, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. So, it took few days for me to meditate upon this verse. In the beginning of this week, I was, say, I was saying, and probably I should just skip this and go to the second portion that I printed out for you. It, it has more stuff in it. But as I was thinking about that simple sentence that we all know that that's the gospel, I came to realize Though succinct and simple and short, that verse, verse 15, whoever confesses that will be transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God. So verse 15 is really important. The world is basically full of two kinds of people, one who confesses that and the others who do not confess that vast majority of people still belong to that, the rule of Satan because they do not confess that. But the church is that which confesses verse 15. So this really is life or death. This is the, the line that draws the line between the kingdom of darkness and kingdom of light. So so do not be underwhelmed, just like me in the thinking. I mean, I know this. But for the church to survive and to give glory to God until the day of Christ's return, all that church has to do is to hold on to that simple verse, the gospel content. When you think about it, it is simple words in, in the in simple sentence. It contains a lot. Look at it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Christ. So the question is, who is he? Pretend that you have never heard about this. You say this to someone. You try to teach this to someone. He or she will ask this. Christ, who is that? What is that? You have to explain who he is. His offices. 
Christ Jesus. So you have to explain in relation to Christ who that Jesus is. Is that a man? Is he God? Came. Christ Jesus came. Came from where? From another world? Outside of earth? Where? Christ Jesus came. In what mode? As a light? As knowledge? As a person? As an angel? Came in what manner? In what mode did he come? We have to explain incarnation of God. Into the world. What's wrong with the world? Why? What's wrong with this world? Next word you hear came into the world too. Save. Save what? Save from what? You have to explain. You have to explain the wrath of God, the justice of God, the holiness of God, and the love of God. To save whom? Sinners. Why, why am I a sinner? You have to explain. Why? But the gospel, I believe, in this sentence is not simply that. That's the fact. But how Paul sees himself, among whom I am foremost. That's the saving knowledge of Christ in him. Because we know the devil also knows the fact, these facts, these facts. But the difference is that you understand I am included in that sinner group. And Christ Jesus came into the world to save me. How did he save? You have to explain the work of Christ. What happened to him? The cross, death, resurrection, ascension, all of that, you see. So this simple sentence, to explain this, you will have to say a lot and teach the entirety of the Christian belief or the system. That's the gospel. Let me introduce you a a couple of... um, Paragraphs from Michael Kruger. He is the president of one of the reformed theological seminaries. There, there are many. Michael Kruger, he has a book. And as I said last week, the title is this, How the Second Century Shaped the Future of the Church. If you listen to those church historians, they say the current situation of of, of this, the, the church setting right now, this resembles the second century. So in order for us to know how to behave or how to do the church, you have to go back to the second century because that's basically in the same setting, in a pagan setting, church trying to survive after the, the apostles. So f- roughly from AD 100 to 199. That period, the second century. And he describes one of the characteristics of the Christian church. Listen to this, how he describes the church of Christ in distinction from other religions. Unlike many other religions in the Greco-Roman world, Christianity was not centered so much on cult or ritual but on a message. In particular, it was centered upon a message about Jesus of Nazareth, who he was, why he came, 
and what he accomplished. What made Christians distinctive was not so much what they did, but what they believed. Indeed, it was that robust intellectual or doctrinal content of Christianity that led many to regard this new movement as not a religion at all, but more of philosophy. Polytheistic or primary religions generally are not concerned with questions of what to believe, but how to act. Not the truth of the beliefs, but the correctness of the ritual performances and recitation is what matters. For this reason, there was little attempt by these religions to craft precise creeds or doctrinal formulations. For them, worship wasn't about professing the content of your beliefs. It was about performing a sacred duty or ritual. Compare that with this simple profession, the confession of faith by Paul. It is a trustworthy saying that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost. Compare that to any kind of pagan worship at the time. According to him, that's right. You could, you could, we could relate that. All these primitive religions, that were religions that people knew, and people were going to the temples and practicing all kinds of rituals, not everyone was keen on explaining what exactly that deity has done. Each tribe or nation or city will have its own ancestral worship, and you simply follow the pattern set by your forefathers to pay tribute to that deity. Because that's what you do if you're born into that clan or family or the society. You do not betray that. But everybody was simply doing the acts. But in contrast to that practice, those practices, Christianity from the inception, it was all about telling a story. What God has done for you, for me. And that trustworthy statement of 1 Timothy 1.15 could be seen as a product confession of faith. And Westminster Confession of Faith about 1600 years later will be basically trying to explain, it is basically trying to explain that statement in more full fashion. Let's turn to the next section. I am not going to look at the whole thing, but I'm just going to read and make this as a an example to you that the confession like statement statements are basically scattered throughout the New Testament and look at verse 16 if you find this in your own Bible I checked ESV LSB and NAS they all do the same things and I believe other translations as well. If you look up this passage in your own Bible, what you will see in verse 16 would be the indentation, distinguishing it from the previous verses, recognizing that it is like a poem. It is not a prose. 
So they, the translators recognize that and, and put verse 16 to that insight and make it look like a poem. But it is not immediately clear as you read it in English. You have to read it in Greek. But let's read in the first Timothy, the same letter. Later on, he says in chapter 3, what does he say, Paul, what does he say? By common confession. I think that's correct translation. It is common confession. And other translations say different things. But by common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. And we expect him to say the core doctrine of the Christian faith. And that's what you find here. Succinct summary of the gospel. Those statements really are centered upon Christ here too. What is the content of the gospel, the church? What do we confess? We confess Christ. Not simply God, but Christ. That here, he who was revealed in the flesh was vindicated in the spirit. That means resurrection. Seen by angels. Apparently that was important. The witness by the angels. Seen by angels. Proclaimed among the nations. Believed on in the world. Taken up in glory. So that's probably a confession that Paul learned or it was already in, in the use in many churches, people accepted this as their confession. They were probably singing it. When you read this in, in, in Greek, you will see the pattern. There's a rhyme and rhythm in it. So probably people memorized it. People uh, were singing this in the church. It is basically, when you read this, it's so simple, right? But that's the beauty of the confession. It's not million points. But simple statements that people taught and believed. And by the second century, turn of the century, from 8090 to about 8120, church fathers are already saying there were core doctrines that the church believed. And it is called the rule of faith. Rule of faith. About seven bullet points. And it is very similar to the Apostles' Creed though it comes about 300 years later. So, all this rule of faith and this and all of that, the strength of that is that it is short. It could be expressed simply, easily remembered, and rapidly disseminated. So, to contend for the truth, for us not to compromise the gospel down the road, what do you have to believe? I mean, everything that the Bible says, correct. But these simple statements of faith, you could call it a creed-like statement or, or confession of faith that was already in use long before the Westminster Confession of Faith came along. And we here see already in the Bible and obviously, we were in Philippians and probably we'll go back to it after a few weeks. But Philippians 2, verses 9 and following, 
It is a hymn. Many people say it is a hymn. People memorize it, taught them to their children so that they could memorize it. So when you have these core doctrines, what happens? When you hear something different, you could recognize that as heterodox. That is wrong. You know by all that you know and all that you have heard that you hear something that is out of that boundary of the New Testament teaching. You will recognize that as an heresy, heresy or heterodox. That is the power. So today, it is simple that the confession of faith was already in the Bible. And the church has been teaching people of God these few bullet points, core doctrines of Christianity for them to believe, to confess. What happens when you believe, truly believe this and confess? That's right. You are saved. If you do not confess this, if you do not confess Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and if you do not count yourself among them, the sinners, then, then, then you are not part of the church. So it is the gospel message. And Paul is saying, Timothy, when I am gone, you hold on to that simple truth and do not deviate from it. And as long as you hold on to it, you will be the church of Christ and your message will save the sinners. You deny any of these core doctrines, even chapter 3 that we have read from here, if you deny the virgin birth of Christ, the incarnation and the physical resurrection, ascension, his sufficiency of his atonement, then no one will be saved by such a message. So let us Hold on to the confession of faith that we already see in the Bible. Let us teach them to our children. Let us hold on to it and fight our good fight until Christ return by holding on to these uh, teachings. Let's pray.